Hello, and welcome to the Cindy Gross Show. I am your host, Cindy Gross, and I want to thank you once again for making our show one of the most listened to and downloaded shows over the weekend, every weekend. We are so excited to welcome in 93.3 FM in the St. Louis area. Thank you so much, and welcome into my corner. Today, we're going to start a new segment on the show called Cindy's Pearls of Wisdom. As a Jewish activist, I am proud to tell you that my name is Zisa Pearl, Sweet Pearl, that it translates to. And what can be more important than sharing some pearls of wisdom during these extremely frustrating, troubling times? So tonight's show is focusing in on local issues. You know, we are so absorbed into what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, worrying if we're going into World War III, worrying if gas is going to go up to $10 a gallon. Will we have chicken next month? Will there be canned goods even? I mean, there's talks of everything being hard to get. Are we going to be able to travel at all this summer? Usually in the summer, people get in the car and go places. Are we really going to do that? Are we going to have a new variant come of COVID where we're going to be forced into lockdown again? Let's talk about that. But we're taking up every issue, but something that affects us the most, and that is our communities, our local neighborhoods, and the local governments that are running them. Tonight's show is going to focus on local, actually local and global, and they're actually very much connected, and you're going to find out why. Our first guest is back to talk about luxury overdevelopment. I don't know if you realize right now, we're so busy talking about Biden's Build Back Better infrastructure deal, that there is a trend going on that both parties are involved in, and that is to change the landscape of the suburbs of the United States. There is nobody better to talk about it than our first guest, Eitan Meyer, an attorney and an activist who has spent the past few years of his life devoted to educating the public and fighting on a local grassroots level the importance of learning how to keep your communities safe and suburban if you live in a suburban neighborhood. You know, one of the benefits about living in the suburbs was that you paid higher taxes, but you also were given other luxuries that the city people didn't have. But now they want to make the suburbs into cities, but they still want the suburban taxes. Who is responsible for that? And are our suburbs capable of surviving with infrastructure and schooling, medical support and supplies? And who is actually benefiting from luxury overdevelopment? It's a very, very important issue and while we're talking about flipping the House and flipping the Senate, we are not talking enough about state assembly and state Senate and legislators. If you learned anything from me so far, it's that 2022 is the year of the primary. 
It is the year of the voter. Voters from both parties on all sides are sick and tired of being told who to vote for. Because if they actually believe that in 2015, we would have had probably a Bush or Scott Walker as the Republican nominee. And we would have had Hillary Clinton as a Democratic nominee for president. And we would have had four years or maybe eight years of Hillary Clinton. And none of that happened because grassroots voters decided they wanted an outsider by the name of Donald Trump. And whether or not you miss the tweets or not, you're certainly missing $2 a gallon of gas. You're certainly missing the fact that there was no discussion of war. And you're certainly missing the fact that everybody was talking about MAGA. Young people got involved. Gay people got involved. Black people got involved. Hispanics. Everybody got involved because they were proud to be Americans. They certainly aren't happy about going to a supermarket or going to a drugstore and seeing that even the candy and gum are locked up. So we're going to learn more about local from Aaron. And then we're going to talk about global ideas for business because it all starts local. Common sense strategies are local. If local businesses don't survive, then global businesses can't survive. If you learned anything during COVID, yes, we all got dependent on Amazon and Costco and the big stores, but it was the little stores, the mom and shop pizzerias and drugstores that were the places we went when we needed something in an emergency, and they must never be forgotten. So it's all about being local. Yes, it's local on a national radio show. It's local on a Jewish activist show because what affects Jews in America affects every other community. And when we collate and work together, we are all much stronger. So sit back and stay tuned as we get ready for our first guest. And remember, you can hear us every week on radio stations like 620 AM in the Tri-State area on Saturday nights. And 97.3 FM in the Midwest on 4 o'clock Sunday Central Time, right before the Judge Deneen Show. And don't forget, you can always download us internationally anytime on iHeartRadio and Spotify. And you can always write to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be back after this brief message. The eight-day holiday of Passover begins at sundown April 15th through April 23rd and is celebrated by Jews around the world with two nights of festive meals, the seder, and lots of wine, four cups each night to symbolize freedom from bondage. The folks at Royal Wine Corp, the largest manufacturer, importer, and exporter of kosher wine, offers wines from all over the world in every price point. Founded in 1848, Royal Wine Corp's mission is to be the premier manufacturer, importer, and 
and distributor of specialty wines, spirits, and liqueurs from around the world. The commitment to perfection and family tradition spans over eight generations and has experienced growth since its beginning. Royal's portfolio of domestic and international wines ranges from traditional wine-producing regions of France, Italy, and Spain to up-and-coming ones like Israel, New Zealand, and Argentina. Additionally, Royal Wine Corp's spirit and liqueur portfolio offers some of the most sought-after scotches, bourbons, tequilas, and vodkas, as well as hard-to-find specialty items such as flavored brandies and liqueurs. To find out more, visit the Royal Wine website and find out where you can pick up all your wine needs or order online with discounts on many favorites. Welcome back. As I said in my Pearls of Wisdom, there is a push in this country to change the look and feeling of our suburbs. It is a very important issue that too many of us do not know enough about. And our next guest is a leader in his area in the 4th District on Long Island, which is actually an area being looked upon nationally from both Democrats and Republicans because it's an open congressional seat. And it's because it's an area that in 2021, Republicans won in a very deep Democratic state. Aaron Meyer has been here before, and he wants to update us on some of the information he has learned since he was here last year about more overdevelopment and how it affects each and every taxpayer. Aaron, thank you so much for joining the Cindy Gross Show. Thank you very much for having me again. Well, as we said, it is a nonpartisan issue that needs bipartisan support. Yet, if you asked the average voter, the average taxpayer, they know little to nothing about what's going on in their own communities, by their own town boards and villages and businesses that are making a lot of money and making a lot of important decisions. And many of them are not necessarily the ones that they want. Tell us a little bit more about that, please. Certainly. And, and I, I should start where we kind of left off the last time we spoke. We were discussing industrial development agencies. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to say that the, uh, the Five Towns uh, Jewish Times actually just published the transcript of that, which I, I really hope people are reading right now. Because what ultimately happens here is that these decisions are made out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. The idea is that voters are not fully aware and so when they finally see these monstrosities going up, they, they ask, well, how did I not know about this? And then they blame whichever party they feel is responsible. And unfortunately, that's not really accurate because there may have been, I don't want to say collusion, but there may have been agreements between the two parties. There may have been a number of other factors that come into play. And when people are just sort of seeing the facts on the ground, not only have they already lost their chance to effectively counteract some of these projects, but they're also being misled as to who's responsible and what should have been done, what could have been done, and what still can be done. So there are some upcoming uh, meetings locally in our area, but I just want to point out to the national audience, we are giving you the tips of what we know locally, but this should make you go look at your own towns and your own communities and to see what's going on and to learn about every person who is running your local governments because ultimately those people step up to the state level and some go national. So tell us what you found out locally in your neighborhood. 
Right. So right now, um, there, there are two different things that I've been looking at a little more closely, partly because of geographical proximity. Uh, first, there's the Pearsall project, which is going on in the five towns. I believe there's a meeting on that in on March 29th. Um, and of course, we've, we've discussed the five towns before, and that's a, a particular example of where you have a, an area that does not have infrastructure and yet projects are being greenlit left and right. Closer to where I am right now in Oceanside, uh, we already have what we call the monstrosity. And uh, there are at least two other planned developments uh, that are gonna be on Atlantic Avenue right near there. Again, we're talking about four and a half story structures in what was predominantly a residential neighborhood on roads that can't really support them uh, with. So I have to ask you, who is making these decisions? Who is getting the okays to build these buildings without the community having any knowledge about it? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. The developer goes to the local authority. Sometimes it's a local zoning board. Sometimes it's the town of Hempstead, uh, to, to give my example. Uh, and sometimes they go to the industrial development agency itself. And so for, for us, there's the town of Hempstead has its own IDA and Nassau County has an IDA. And they get basically different perks and different permits from each one. They get the zoning board to issue variances or to even change the zoning outright so that where you used to only be able to have a house, now suddenly you can have a 50 foot structure. Uh, and then they go and get pilots payments in lieu of taxes, where instead of contributing to the tax rolls, they get discounts for, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, they'll say, oh, we'll have 10% of our plan departments will be workforce housing, which is to say slightly discounted. And they get that routinely. So I have to say something when you talk about this. I keep hearing, and this, I happen to pick this up in a newspaper that's not about this local area, but it, it ties in very well. There was a lot of discussion that these are supposed to be affordable housing units. Many times they're not affordable housing units. Some of them are supposed to be for rental. Some of them are supposed to be for purchase. And there's a lot of confusion. But a lot of the minority groups, I'm hearing a lot of the Black Lives Matter groups are very concerned about this because they feel that they're left out of this. So this does become a political issue. And how do you address the questions of what these units are costing and who is buying them or renting them? And, and that's a big part of this. You know, I, I like the term luxury over development because that's really what we get. You know, in, instead of builders being incentivized to build uh, actually affordable housing and actually affordable, you know, can mean different things. It can mean affordable housing for disadvantaged communities that desperately need more housing overall. And it can also mean housing that's affordable for younger generations of people that already live in an area. These, these complexes do none of that. What are they? If you're talking about $3,000 or even $2,600 per month for a studio or a small apartment, what you're doing is you're not catering to people that actually need houses. You're not, you're not really catering to the people that are stuck living in their parents' basement. You're not. Who are you catering to? A class of people that want to flee the city? Well, okay, if you're going to flee the city and you're just going to end up in a complex further out east, is that really going to benefit anyone? The answer is no, but people are fooled into that. And instead, projects that we desperately need, uh, and I do want to give an example. There's one in Freeport where they're planning a two and a half story structure that will actually be affordable for people from that community. 
and that's being built in, in conformity with existing zoning. That's a brilliant example of what should be happening. So but you're not against of, overdevelopment. You're just against overdevelopment. That's not, I guess, transparent to the community and the people involved in it. It needs to be essentially for the community. Whatever that community is, whoever is part of it, whoever should be a part of it, whoever needs to be a part of it, that's who it should center around. And that's not happening. The Freeport example is unfortunately the exception that proves the rule. Instead, we get these. So a listener of mine just uh, reached out and wanted to know, which party is more responsible for this, the Democrats or the Republicans? (laughs) Uh, I mean, do you want to argue about the chicken or the egg? The problem is you you have two different things going on here in the town of Hempstead. uh, It is Republican controlled and it's rare to see a development that they don't green light. But on the other, the other end of that, you have Albany trying to mandate this, uh, you know, rapid transportation hub system where basically any land that's near a train station or a bus stop suddenly is fair game for development like we're living in Sim City, remember the video game from the 90s where if you had a vacant spot of land, all you had to do was build, build, build. We have that coming. So we have that coming from Albany. We have local government that that's not really looking at it from the perspective of local residents either. You know, I, at a certain point, I don't think it's it. I don't think it's productive to try to blame one party or the other. They need to be. They need to understand this is the problem. So I have to tell you that I just received another contact, somebody who I recently met on a trip in Texas, and they said, this sounds like what's going on in my area. And that's why this is important. We're using the local situation of District 4 on Long Long Island because it's the one number one we know about. But it also this area it has now special elections for state assembly uh, for we're going to be having petitions because we have primaries going on and we are going to have legitimate primaries in both parties for gubernatorial and for state senate and for other seats. And also because the country is looking at this, this is an area that is you know, a Republican area as of November 2021, 20, yet Congressional seat, it will probably go Democratic or stay Democratic in an open race. So this is something that is very, very relatable to people across the country, especially in blue states. Tell me your thoughts on this. Well, it it certainly should be. I mean, let's let's look at the infrastructure bill, you know, that trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Everybody talks about it. Everybody has their own issues with it. My issue with it is. Let's talk about actual infrastructure. Not just the fact that we have crumbling roads, that we have decaying bridges. What about building new infrastructure, expanding infrastructure before we think about plunking down more complexes, right? I I use Oceanside for the example, but it could be anywhere. You have a town, you have a major road that goes through the town. It was designed so that traffic is funneled to that road. And now suddenly you're gonna have a tower on this side, a tower on that side. And suddenly, where's the traffic going to go? It's not enough to say, well, we're going to push public transit. That's not an answer. And, and the, there's the, the ridiculous claim that came out last year that, don't worry, uh, the people that move into these uh, you know, transit-oriented developments, they're not going to drive. That, that's, that's absurd. What we need is we need to build infrastructure federally and on the state level. 
But instead, we're not getting that. We're getting some combination of, well, we'll finally fix the roads that should have been fixed ages ago. We'll finally repair a couple of bridges that might fall down anyway. That's not enough. We need to be looking outward. We need to be looking at what are the next steps going to be, not how can we clog everything up and then it'll be whatever it is. So another listener just texted me. I support Donald Trump because he's an outsider and I want him to win in 2024. I live in a state where my GOP establishment is not supporting the Trump voters in my area. How does all this have an impact on voting for Trump in 2024? Well, I mean, I'm not exactly an election expert. Uh, Usually when I tell people who's going to win, I'm wrong. Uh, But when you're talking about a local party, you know, it's very important to make sure that your party is responsive to you. And that's across the board. If you have a candidate that you like, you know, don't just accept if a party puts forth a candidate and basically closes down all commentary. Don't accept that. Ask them, reach out to them. If you've been active, say, what about my candidate? Why is this not being concerned? Again, don't let it be uh, swept under the rug. Uh, somebody who's running for a school board in a different part of New York state wants to know, how does all this overdevelopment affect the schools? We're having enough problem with education as is, especially since COVID. I want to win. I want to improve my school system. Tell me how this affects it. Well, that, that is exactly one of the reasons I don't like pilots. I really do not because that payment is in lieu of your tax money. That's in lieu of the tax money that should be going to the school district. So if a school district is going to get more kids and not the taxes that should be coming with that land, that's not a good equation. And you you don't need advanced math to figure that one out. Tell us how people could learn more about, like you mentioned, an IDA. First of all, please explain again. I know you did it last time, but it's been a long time. What is an IDA? So industrial development agencies were created basically for what they sound like, to promote industry, to develop industry, okay? They were designed so that if you had a factory you had, and that needed to expand or they needed to open a new location, you had these entities that would bring them in. The idea was they would bring in work, they would bring in all sorts of things, they would bring in people, they would benefit the local community, and they would be incentivized to do so. That's what that was their purpose. What they have become, by and large, unfortunately, is something of a piggy bank for developers. So they say, well, I'm building an apartment complex. Uh, It will have X number of jobs, and then everything will be fine. The problem is that's an apartment is not the same as a factory. If you had a factory and you were bringing in a thousand workers or a thousand jobs for local workers, that had a very good effect on the local economy. When you have an apartment complex that is bringing in a thousand residents, but no new taxes, you don't get that benefit. The most you get is if they buy anything locally. That's fundamentally different from providing jobs for the nearby community. What, what is an apartment complex going to have? A handful of staff members? Really, it's, it's not anything comparable, and yet it's been transposed. So now ideas give that. So when you talk about school, I'm sorry, when you talk about schools and you're talking about getting students back, 
Are these buildings geared towards young families with students in schools or no? It does not appear that way. And in fact, uh, at several meetings that I've been a participant, they've said, well, we're, we're not going to have uh, we're not going to have young people living here. Um, no, no. These are mostly studio apartments. They're for young professionals and uh, maybe a student or two. Nothing, nothing to see here. Move along. Except, again, when you have when you move to a community, you want to be a part of the community. Right. If you're a young person. You don't just go and and move somewhere like out here for the sake of staying there by yourself. If you like the area, if you want to be a part of it, what are you going to do? Well, for a lot of us, we're going to make a family, perhaps. So, you know, we're, we're still left with additional students that are coming that are just not being acknowledged. It's it's slight of hand. So we're up to we're getting close to our first break and you're all going to come back because I actually do have a whole list of questions from our listeners and they also want to find out more how to reach you and how to get involved. So Aaron Meyer will be back and we are talking about how the government wants to change suburbs into cities. We'll be right back with the Cindy Gross Show. The eight-day holiday of Passover begins at sundown April 15th through April 23rd and is celebrated by Jews around the world with two nights of festive meals, the seder, and lots of wine, four cups each night to symbolize freedom from bondage. The folks at Royal Wine Corp., the largest manufacturer, importer, and exporter of kosher wine, offers wines from all over the world in every price point. Founded in 1848, Royal Wine Corp.'s mission is to be the premier manufacturer, importer, and distributor of specialty wines, spirits, and liqueurs from around the world. The commitment to perfection and family tradition spans over eight generations and has experienced growth since its beginning. Royal's portfolio of domestic and international wines ranges from traditional wine-producing regions of France, Italy, and Spain to up-and-coming ones like Israel, New Zealand, and Argentina. Additionally, Royal Wine Corp Spirit and Liqueur Portfolio offers some of the most sought-after scotches, bourbons, tequilas, and vodkas, as well as hard-to-find special items such as flavored brandies and liqueurs. To find out more, visit the Royal Wine website and find out where you can pick up all your wine needs or order online with discounts on many favorites. Welcome back to the Cindy Gross Show. We're here with Aaron Meyer. He's an attorney. He's an activist. He's actually run for office. And one of his major, major areas of expertise is on how the governments want to change suburbs into cities with what he calls luxury overdevelopment. And we were talking as we were ending our last segment about education. And I think it's really important to discuss if we're talking about education, because we saw the stall of education and the um, inability to teach during COVID the past two years in an effective manner. How is all this overdevelopment going to have an impact should another variant come as serious as COVID? Well, I wish I had a silver lining, but uh, let's say, hypothetically, we have another another variant. We have another wave. We have another set of lockdowns. We have another uh, transmittable disease that's traveling through air in buildings. Those of us who have our own homes, we're fine, right? As long as we have food, as long as we have power, we can stay in our homes and effectively shield ourselves. But as we have seen, those who are stuck in high-density areas are exponentially more at risk. 
And so here we have, <laughs> what are we going to end up with? We're going to end up with a whole group of people, a whole class of people who have moved to quote unquote, get away from the city, except they're still stuck in what? Skyscrapers? You want to, you want to say mini skyscrapers? Cause they're only 50 feet tall towering over the homes near them. They're still going to have the same air problems. You're still in a building where you're sharing all kinds of things, you know, we, we hip of, um, HIPAAVAX and, uh, you know, all kinds of air treatment will help. And, you know, that's great that technology is advancing, but that's not going to magically make this not transmit through uh, your, your ducts if you're living in one of these buildings. I would not want to be there. I would want to avoid it. And I can tell you that when the last round hit, I have relatives in the city. We beg them to get out, get out of your apartment building. So people know this or they should know it is now the time to be looking to move into another apartment building? I, I, I would say that's the last thing we should be looking for. So out of the Donald Trump campaigns, we see all over the country grassroots. We saw it actually in AOC, the grassroots leader of the Democratic Party. How is grassroots activism important in getting people to get involved and either stand up for this or against it? Because, of course, there's going to be people uh, who are for this. And we do invite them on the show in future shows to actually debate or have a serious discussion with facts. So what is your recommendation to grassroots people? Grassroots are even more important at this level than any other. Right. When you're dealing with a national election, you, the grassroots can get a movement going. But when you're talking about local residents, you know, grassroots, those are your neighbors. Those are the people that live the street over from you. These are people that you probably encounter you know, on a daily on a daily basis without even realizing it half the time. And so when you see petitions in particular, right, when you see a petition on change um, and it's a, a national or international one, Right. You have people signing from all over and that's wonderful. But let's say you have petitions here. And let me tell you, there are petitions circulating right now to stop massive overdevelopment. And I, I strongly urge anybody listening, take a look. If you live in, in our area on Long Island, look at the Long Island based ones. There are some excellent petitions. If you live elsewhere, look for your neighborhood, because those petitions are they're not random people from around the world who are clicking on it because they see something interesting and they want to support it to some degree. These are your neighbors. These so I have to say there is a petition about stop the overdevelopment in the five towns. Um, and it's really a lot of grassroots people who never took part before in anything, but they're very concerned. They're concerned even every single day. And thanks to social media and WhatsApp groups, especially, we are finding out fatalities with accidents because these roads cannot sustain the traffic that these uh, overdeveloped uh, buildings bring. You know, they say they're going to limit cars, but they don't limit cars. They can't possibly limit cars. Just the fact that if somebody lives in a building, an apartment, and they have guests back and forth. Yeah, and, that, and that's the problem. There's a lot of utopianism, this idea that issues will magically go away. They won't drive cars. People won't visit. They won't have children. These are ridiculous. These are fantasies. And people should not be falling for them. You got to look very closely. You know, rapid transit development, okay? If we're talking about that kind of zoning, it means there has to be a train station nearby. Well, if there's a train station, 
you're probably already dealing with a significant intersection of some sort, very close to it. You probably, you have to have a bus line or multiple bus routes. These have to be popular. You know, people have to understand these are targeting used, well-used locations. These are not random lots somewhere in, you know, the backwoods. These are right smack in the middle where everybody is already. That has going to have consequences. The same thing with school buses. People say, oh, you just gave the example during the last segment about uh, singles without children. But eventually people stay in these and there are going to be school buses and they are going to have traffic. And there is nothing that will be able to stop it because the people living in the buildings are going to demand the right to have school busting. They're paying for it with their taxes. Well, they should be paying it for it with their taxes. But if they're renting, then the developer already got away with a big sack of money in the form of pilots. Uh, couldn't resist that one. Sorry. But what, absolutely, we're going to end up with school buses. We're going to end up with increased traffic. And remember, I talked about infrastructure before looking forward. You know, I, I use the Oceanside monstrosity. We have a horrible intersection there already. It's, it's brutal. OK, it is a, um, a parking lot. And when there's a train going by, forget it. You can sit there for 10 minutes at a single intersection. There should have been a raised track, right? Very, there, there's some, some parts of these solutions that are very simple. There should have been a raised track so that at least the train wouldn't back up traffic further before this, this monstrosity was ever greenlit. And that the same is true for most of these locations. There should have been traffic studies that actually mean something, not a traffic study done on, say, you know, uh, the night after Thanksgiving when nobody's driving or New Year's morning. What we need are actual solutions that are looking forward. Okay. Does traffic need to be diverted? How are we going to divert it? If there are going to be buses, school or otherwise, where are the stops going to be? How are we going to look forward so that we don't end up with significantly greater problems? It's not happening. So this is a pretty good transition because you started talking about business. The next question comes from a listener who grew up in her neighborhood, very similar to what we're discussing, but in a different state. And she wants to know her family and her have had a family business, a luxury uh, clothing store that people always you know, admired and, and went to as the go-to place. Since they started overdeveloping and the traffic has been horrendous, she has found that people are complaining and telling her they refuse to come to the store. It's easier just to go online to a department store or Amazon and buy the product and not deal with the traffic mess. How do you answer that? I wish I had a nice answer. I wish I had a good answer. That is exactly the problem. You know, brick and mortar businesses, right? That, that backbone of suburban communities of people who live here, people who work there, those are, they're already hurting. Right. The, the, the pandemic has been absolutely brutal to them. You have landlords that are raising commercial rents left and right, because why shouldn't they, uh, since they can always just turn around and if need be, sell their building, sell their property and let some developer turn it into, you guessed it, an apartment complex or a storage depot or something of that sort. And so what you have is a real squeeze, you know, where, where I am, um, Long Beach Road runs south. If you want to get to Long Beach, you, you basically have to take Long Beach Road. Well, we were driving on it the other day. It was a regular midday, um, you know, about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, driving south. And it was bumper to bumper. And that's not even, that's, that's a winter day. 
Okay. When spring hits, when summer hits and you have the beach goers going, suddenly that's going to be a nightmare and a half. That's going to back up for miles. It does. It does already. When it's backed up, people don't turn off to go visit the stores that they've passed. They don't. And they're not going to make a separate trip to go to those same stores. Again, they're, they're just not. And so this is going to get worse. I, I wish I could say otherwise, but it's only going to get worse. So getting back to the activism, somebody from the five towns just uh, texted me and said, I want to get involved. I want to learn more. What can I do? I, I don't even uh, know who to talk to or who I could even trust to get involved. OK, that <laughs> that is exactly one of the biggest problems, despite living in a social media age. We do have solutions. If you go on Facebook, you look for your local groups, right? Long and in, um, in the five towns in particular, you have very active people. Look up the meetings. You know, if you go to the local um, newspapers, you'll find that there were some meetings and whenever there's a meeting, people do come and speak out. You can get in touch with them. You can find them very easily on social media. I mean, I'm certainly there. People have found my page. Uh, basically, if you know, my middle name is Aton which is E-I-T-A-N, uh, it's very easy to find me. Uh, but for and these you can groups, actually lead people and help people to, pe- you know, people in their communities. And it's absolutely. From, this isn't political. It's either party. You're not making this one issue over another. It's, you know, right now we're doing we're having special elections locally. And I know I'm working with candidates across the country in primaries. People are getting involved like never before. They're just disgusted. And so what you are suggesting is, from your area, but it's all over the country. Look for local activists. That's the key word, activists. Aaron is an activist. I'm sorry I cut you off, but I wanted to emphasize that. No, no, that, that, that's a perfect segue because, you know, on Long Island, you know, there are Facebook groups that fight over development that are island-wide. There are groups that are statewide. Um, nationally, I, I haven't really seen it so much yet, I have to, I have to admit. Um, but if, if you look, and you'll, all you need to do is find that one person. You know, for me, when the monstrosity was going up, uh, there was another a neighbor of mine who started writing about it in one of our local groups. And it was a neighborhood group. It wasn't an activist group. And that's how everything sort of started. So not only look to people that you might know, look, look to your local groups. If you have patch, if you have, you know, news reporting, if you have any of these things, any of them can bring you to somebody who can help. You just have to not let your disgust and frustration overwhelm you. And that that's the toughest part. And I always tell people, have a group of friends, start a Zoom meeting with four people. Numbers mean more numbers. If you have an issue, someone else has that issue. And if someone else has that issue, then there's a third and the fourth. And then you start building a little group and all of a sudden it becomes a big group and start informally. Today, you could go out. Go out for a cup of coffee and discuss it. I know in our neighborhood, there are meetings. I believe there's a meeting in Lawrence High School for one of the projects that you mentioned, the Pearsall Project in um, March. Do you know the exact date? I believe that is March 29th. Okay. And uh, it is at Lawrence High School, but that doesn't matter. Um, It will be shared. You can reach out to Aaron and... um, also, there are petitions. I think change.org does a lot of work with this. They do, uh, because a lot of local activists have realized, you know, start a petition, uh, you know, keep it going. Because the worst thing that happens, and this happens all too often, is 
they'll have a meeting. People will come out, they will be vocal. They will be very clearly opposed to a project and it will get tabled. And then it will come back when nobody's looking. And then suddenly it gets approved. When you have petitions like this, uh, in, in conjunction with uh, you know, everything else we've been talking about, that can sort of you know, keep, keep the spotlight on a little bit. And if the person who's running the petition is paying close attention, he or she can amend the petition, update the petition, keep people engaged, keep it moving so that they can't just turn around behind and say, oh, well, I guess they're not paying attention anymore. It's fine now. The meeting is uh, the 29th. That happens to be in the five towns area. So many of our listeners know people in the five towns. So I use that as an example. I mean, it's amazing from California. Oh, I have a cousin. Do you know so-and-so? So this is one of the ways we do this. But this is happening across the country. They want to change suburbs to make them cities. And we didn't even hit on the fact that with this overdevelopment with government involvement, we have a gubernatorial race who in the last minute is the governor that's pushing this. Mo- the governor uh, not, who is run- well, the candidate, I should say, who is the one that's talking about this the most? Well, that's the thing. So, you know, current Governor Hochul um, did put forth a, uh, a widely derided and opposed plan to, you know, basically eliminate local zoning. That just was um, <laughs> opposed by everyone, including local officials from both sides of the aisle where we are. Um, so that's not she, she's not necessarily going to be of any help. Uh, as far as the other candidates who are in the primaries, I, to be honest, only one has any sort of track record that I know of about zoning. And that's because he was the county executive for Westchester. Um, you know, otherwise, it doesn't seem like it's a hot button, like um, issues that really have nothing to do with an ordinary person. You know, you probably know more about your governor's, um, the governor candidate's uh, views on international politics than you do about zoning and development. And that's, and that's a, a great problem. way to really end this segment. Get to learn your candidates that are running on statewide and national levels, how they stand locally. They all are supposed to be living in your district or know your district. That's why they're running from there. Aaron, very quickly, where can people reach out to you before we have to close? On Facebook, uh, I maintain a page, Aaron Aton Meyer, Advocate for Oceanside. Although, again, as you can tell, uh, I'm not simply for Oceanside. Uh, I can also be reached. Um, well, that's the best way, actually, because uh, I respond very, very quickly. Well, Again, thank you so much. And like I said, we would love to have some other opposing discussion. And Aaron would look forward to debating it right here on the Cindy Gross Show. Thank you so much for tuning in and for joining us in this very important, timely discussion. The eight-day holiday of Passover begins at sundown April 15th through April 23rd and is celebrated by Jews around the world with two nights of festive meals, the seder, and lots of wine, four cups each night to symbolize freedom from bondage. The folks at Royal Wine Corp, the largest manufacturer, importer, and exporter of kosher wine, offers wines from all over the world in every price point. Founded in 1848, Royal Wine Corp's mission is to be the premier manufacturer, importer, 
and distributor of specialty wines, spirits, and liqueurs from around the world. The commitment to perfection and family tradition spans over eight generations and has experienced growth since its beginning. Royal's portfolio of domestic and international wines ranges from traditional wine-producing regions of France, Italy, and Spain to up-and-coming ones like Israel, New Zealand, and Argentina. Additionally, Royal Wine Corp Spirit and Liqueur Portfolio offers some of the most sought-after scotches, bourbons, tequilas, and vodkas, as well as hard-to-find specialty items such as flavored brandies and liqueurs. To find out more, visit the Royal Wine website and find out where you can pick up all your wine needs or order online with discounts on many favorites. Welcome back to the Cindy Gross Show. With us now is a guest I want you guys to meet and be enthusiastic about as much as I am because she is the founder of World Blue, a global business uh, organization that helps leadership and she has a brand new book out. She's going to talk about steps that we could all need and use in our everyday lives about how to get through the days with what we see going on in the news, in our businesses, around the world. Tracy Fenton, welcome to the Cindy Gross Show. It's great to be here, Cindy. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit. You have a brand new book out, Freedom at Work. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so Freedom at Work, my new book, is based on 25 years that my team and I have spent working with small to Fortune 500 companies and their leaders on how to lead from the principles of freedom and democracy rather than fear and control. Well, it can't be more timely given you've been working on this for months and now the, the news, the headlines all relates to fear and, and control and Yet you take a very positive approach, an approach that years ago was so welcome and so commonplace. And years ago, the word global had such a positive meaning. And today it seems to have a negative meaning. So uh, tell us about some of the 10 steps you have in the book that our listeners and our business owners can relate to. Absolutely. So Freedom at Work is based on three key pillars, freedom-centered mindset, freedom-centered leadership, and freedom-centered organizational design. And under organizational design, what we do is we teach companies how to go from being a command and control hierarchy to a much more democratic model based on 10 principles of organizational democracy, principles like accountability, choice, transparency, decentralization of power. And my book features 50 different companies that we've worked with and 100 different best practices. And I'd love to tell a quick story of how we as leaders can take the principles of democracy and use them for good in our company, in our companies and in our world. We were working with a large multinational company, about 120,000 employees um, and their $5 billion company. And during the last great recession, the CEO, and I talk about this in the book, realized that they were going to need to save $100 million or they would have to let people go. We know business leaders are dealing with this right now. They're dealing with inflation and rising costs. And what do I do? So what this business leader, Vineet, did was he asked his employees, he said, look, we got to figure out how to save $100 million or we got to let people go. Do you have ideas? Do you have input? Do you have inspiration? And they operate in a democratic way. So people were happy to give their ideas. They got hundreds of ideas in. They acted on 76 of those ideas. And they didn't just save $100 million, Cindy. They saved $260 million and no one was laid off. And these are the kind of practices I talk about in the book, how leaders can think in a different way to produce some really amazing results. Well, you say that because in New York right now, we're talking about maybe changing to a four-day work week. 
And also, I think post-COVID around the world, people are discussing different ways how to do work, whether or not it's more work at home, more Zoom meetings, for lack of a better way to say it, or um, even gathering staff members locally and, you know, organizing them, maybe talking once a week with a fuller staff casual wear, etc. I'm sure these are all ideas that your book actually has in them or the leaders and participants actually uh, thought about and promoted because they listened to their workers. Yeah. And we take it totally to the next level. You know, I have a hundred different best practices that are all proven and they work for virtual or in-person teams because no matter what, you still need to build trust. You still need to build a sense of teamwork. You still need to have people communicating well. And we have a proven strategy for how to do this. We've done it for 25 years. It's why top brands from WD40 to Zappos, Groupon, Hulu, Pandora, Mindvalley, Widen, all these top rounds brands around the world have worked with us and it applies to all areas of life. If you're just a leader saying, I want to run my family better, my book can help. Freedom at Work can help. Um, so it applies to all areas of life. Well, I was just going to say this. This is great for mothers or anybody. I know so many of my followers are watching their weight and getting into exercise routines. Common sense is really not a political issue. It's nonpartisan, but it makes sense in every aspect of your life. And it's a very easy read, people. So women, this is a great book club book because you're going to walk away and take tips for your everyday life, even how you prepare a week's load of meals for your family or uh, carpools or simple, you know, volunteering in organizations. Right now, everybody's looking to volunteer to help out uh, people that are struggling in war. So it's something relatable and easy to read. Tell us where our listeners can find the book and where they can find you. All right. The book is called Freedom at Work, the leadership strategy for transforming your life, your organization, our world. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your independent bookstore, wherever you like to shop. It's um, available also in Kindle. And you can find me and my incredible team and the work that we do at worldblue.com. That's B-L-U, worldblue.com. We look forward to seeing you there and are happy to help. Well, we look forward to having you back on the Cindy Gross Show. Your tips are so timely. And as we get closer to elections and as we see what happens day to day with inflation and businesses changing their work, uh, workplace atmosphere, your words, your wisdom are so much welcomed on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Cindy. It's an honor to be with you. That's our show for this week. We hope you have a great week. Stay positive, stay strong, and remember, get involved in local because local leads to global. This is Cindy Gross, and thank you very much for tuning in.